Good morning. It is good to see you. Wonderful to be with you this morning for worship at WPC. Today we continue our series on the book of Job. A couple weeks ago, we began the series by going to the beginning of the book, um, seeing Job's misfortunes and his, his friends showing up and their best efforts to comfort and console him. Well, to fast forward a little bit, the next 30-some chapters of the book are really a conversation between Job and his friends. Be honest, conversation's really a generous term. You could call it an argument, or some people have even called it a trial. In it, Job maintains his innocence, uh, innocence uh, to deserve such uh, misfortune. He even questions God's justice. Job's friends, in turn, question Job's innocence, and they maintain that God blesses the righteous and punishes the wicked, as was the common way of talking about God in those days. Now we get to our reading for today. It's the climax. It's when God shows up. And God shows up in a whirlwind, a mighty, fierce storm. And God shows up to set the record straight. God speaks for four whole chapters, except for just a couple of sentences we hear from Job in the middle, making this by far the longest speech of God in the entire Bible. Though it's a powerful and poetic piece of scripture that deserves to be heard in its entirety, we're only going to hit some of the highlights. So I encourage you to, uh, after you go home, to take a look at chapters 38 through 41 of Job. Let's listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 38th chapter of Job, beginning with the first verse. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Who is this that darkens counsel with words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you and you shall declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightning so that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who has the wisdom to number the clouds or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods cling together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their covert? Who provides for the raven its prey? When its young ones cry to God and wander about for lack of food. The Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? Anyone who argues with God must respond. Then the Lord answered, Then Job answered the Lord, See, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and will not answer. Twice, and but will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you, and you declare to me, Will you even put me in the wrong? 
Will you condemn me that you may be justified? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few weeks ago, I had the joy of going back to Michigan for a college reunion. And since I went to a Presbyterian college, I also had the honor of preaching for my homecoming worship service. It was a, a wonderful honor, but also a little odd to preach for former professors. The experience, catching up with old friends, it brought up a lot of good memories, but it also reminded me of a couple of not-so-good memories as well. I remember back to a paper I turned in for an economics class where I was so certain of my argument for the application of Keynesian economics during an era of history that I just had to get an A. I deserved that A. Well, I was wrong. I can't remember what grade I received, except that it wasn't an A. But what I do remember was what happened next. I thought it was just plain unfair. I deserved an A, no question. The professor barely made any comments at all on my paper, so I thought maybe it was a mistake. I I should appeal it to her, and and maybe I'll get a better grade. So I did. This professor responded to my three-page paper with almost three pages of commentary literally tearing my argument apart line by line, showing just how little I knew about economics and how I really did deserve that grade, maybe even a worse one. A lot of people think this is what happens to Job in the whirlwind. In fact, this is how many of the reformers, including Calvin, understood the whirlwind. Job pleads his innocence, demands for God's justice, for God to show up, And it becomes a sort of be careful what you wish for situation. God shows up and says, hey, buddy, just who do you think you are? Who is this that tries to explain with words without a drop of understanding? Stand up like a human being and listen to me. Look, this isn't my first rodeo. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Do you know how the cosmos functions? Do you know where snow is stored or how to send lightning from the sky? In this understanding, God scolds Job through a reckoning of sorts. With this understanding, you could even say, and many have, that God is a sort of bully here, teasing the long-suffering Job about just how little he understands about God and God's creation. There certainly is a reckoning of Job and the offering of a new perspective and outlook, but I'm not quite sure I would call it a divine scolding. And the God Job sees certainly isn't a bully. Another way people have understood God's appearance in the whirlwind is what I like to call the Wizard of Oz perspective. You know, the Wizard of Oz, when Dorothy and her friends finally reach, uh, reach the wizard, and when they get to this mysterious, powerful wizard, and they peek beyond the curtain, they're disappointed in what they find. The idea is that here God allows Job to see beyond the veil, to get a behind-the-scenes look at the work of God. And instead of a just God who blesses the righteous and punishes the wicked, all Job sees is a creation filled with chaos and disorder. If the first understanding depicts God as a bully... This understanding depicts God as either not powerful enough or not an all-loving and good God. While God does allow Job to peek beyond the curtain, 
it seems clear that Job is not disappointed with the God that he meets. Perplexed? In awe? Sure. Absolutely. But definitely not disappointed. The God Job finds is all-powerful, but all-powerful in a way that he couldn't have ever imagined, and all-powerful in a way that he cannot fully comprehend. So we've explored two ways people over the years have understood the whirlwind. And to me and many scholars today, these come up short. I think in part, these come up short because each of these understandings take God's words as rational discourse or even debate. This isn't discourse. The Hebrew, and our English Bibles even show this, the Hebrew is written in poetry. Preacher and scholar Tom Long says that God's understanding, or that the understanding of God's speech from the whirlwind, seeing this as poetry, what this does is it gathers us up into an experiential encounter, one that resists all reduction, all explanation. Friends, Job is given an experience, not an explanation. He's given a glimpse of God's cosmos and God's providential and just care of creation. The image that I think of with this understanding is surprising enough from a business and leadership book I read a while back. Uh, it was written by a Harvard professor named Ron Heifetz. In this book, he talks about the metaphor of going up to the balcony. He says, imagine you're dancing in a big ballroom with people moving all around you to the music. All of your attention is wrapped up in the moment. Uh, all of your attention is on your dance partner and the people around you. And if you're as poor of a dancer as I am, you're making sure you're not colliding with them. But Heifetz says, if you were to go up to the balcony and look down on the dance floor, you would see a very different scene. You would have a very different experience. With slow songs, you might notice that some people got up and danced while others sat back. And with fast songs, the people that were sitting on the slow songs came out and the people dancing for the slow songs sat down. You might have noticed that too many people were dancing far away from the music, perhaps meaning that the band was playing just a little too loud. Heifetz says that leaders have to go up to the balcony in order to see the big picture. And I think this is what God offers Job in the whirlwind experience. God offers Job an opportunity to step back, to climb up to the balcony and get a glimpse of the way God sees creatures and creation. Instead of being bullied, instead of seeing chaos, God shows Job creation from this cosmic balcony view. What Job sees is that all of creation, every creature, every act of nature, from the most destructive to the very most beautiful, all of these are so intricately wrapped up in this all-powerful, all-loving God. Throughout the story, Job has maintained both his innocence and God's justice, trying to figure out why God would allow such pain and misfortune. God responds with a key question, which is the very last verse we read together this morning. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? In other words, God, giving Job this balcony view of the cosmos, asks, whose understanding of justice are you working with? Because it sure isn't mine. 
You're placing your limited human understanding of justice on me. Are you sure you want to replace my divine sense of justice with yours? In other words, what, he, what God says is that we cannot fully understand God's tending and care for the world. How will Job respond to this all-important question? You'll have to come back next Sunday because that's when we'll hear Job's response in the, the end of the book. But for today, let's stick with the whirlwind. So what is a whirlwind? What does all this mean for us today? Like many scripture readings, I think there's both challenge and comfort. The challenge comes in the form of a warning to us. And the warning is this. When we see someone who thinks they have God figured out, when they think they know what God's will is in any given situation, when somebody thinks they know what God thinks about this issue or that, and trust me, there are plenty of people who claim to have this faith thing, this God thing all figured out. The war- this is the warning. As humans, we want control. We want to feel as if we can fully understand things, rationalize them in a point-by-point way. But here God warns us. God warns us of our inability to ever fully understand God and God's purposes in the world. Rather, our job, God says, is to trust in God's goodness, even in what appears for us to be at times the chaos and randomness of life. So that's the challenge. Here's the comfort. It's important to note that while we must remain humble of our understanding of God, we know, we deeply know, that our God is not indifferent to pain and suffering. As Christians, our best glimpse of who God is comes in the form of Christ. God's own Son, who suffered the depths of human pain on the cross and rose from the grave, defeating death for us all. While we may not have all the answers, while we may never have all the answers in this life, we do know that in Christ we trust in a God who is there beside us, crying out with us in our pain and sorrow. And we know that this is a God whose work in eliminating pain and chaos and death is not over yet. Because as Christians we await Christ's return. When God will come and wipe every tear from our eye, and death and pain and suffering will be no more, and we'll all be gathered together in the kingdom of God. The God revealed to Job in the whirlwind is at the center of creation and shows intricate care and concern for all of it. So where has God been in Job's misery? God has been right there, sitting beside Job on the ash heap, comforting him while he tries to figure this out, consoling him while his, while his friends accuse him of being sinful. God shows up. God comes to Job in a whirlwind. Nothing can ever be the same again. God allows us to join Job on the balcony to get a glimpse of God's care for creation, challenging us not to ever think that we have God figured out, but also comforting us to know God's mysterious goodness, something we see most clearly in the redemptive work of Christ. I'd like to close with one of my favorite quotes from theologian Frederick Buechner that I I think so beautifully sums up the whirlwind experience of Job. It's one I've repeated often. I don't believe I've shared it in a sermon here yet, but it's it's one I, I like to use a lot. This quote envisions what God's grace looks like even in the chaos of life. Here's the quote. 
Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I am with you. And nothing will ever separate us. Amen.